Welcome everyone to this third episode of Time Extend. Uh, you are here with Adam Ismail and with me is... Brendan Rorison and today we'll be talking about some of the latest news in the racing genre and then also a featured topic later on. Right, and the news this week, Brendan, is... Uh, I think it might be the most exciting topics that we've discussed since we started this show. For us at least. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's probably other news, because uh, there's, there's always news, but... I don't know. I could talk forever about these, so I guess we should get straight into it. And the first one is about Ridge Racer, which is something that is definitely near and dear to my heart. Uh, What we found out last week was that there might be a new Ridge Racer in the works, and it might be exclusive to the Nintendo Switch. Uh, The news actually came from an employee at Bandai Namco Singapore studio. His LinkedIn profile said that He was uh, lead on a drift-based, high-speed car racing exclusive game to the Nintendo Switch, which can only mean Ridge Racer 8. Or did he he put Ridge Racer 8 actually in the title? He did, yeah. He specified Ridge Racer 8, which is what makes it particularly interesting, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that he felt the need to describe Ridge Racer in the most literal terms possible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Drift-based drift high-speed car racing exclusive. What a mouthful. But, yeah, uh, exactly. What a piece of news to, to start with, because right now, anything that could be coming to the Nintendo Switch is a big deal, because the thing is selling like hotcakes. So, there was two pieces of news attached to this, as you know, Adam. There was basically that Bandai Namco were making Metroid Prime, and then also tucked away was the Ridge Racer 8 news. And as we would expect, everyone focused on the Metroid side of things. But for guys that we knew, this was like, holy crap. <laughs> Such a strange thing to see because the Ridge Racer IP has been dormant for so long now in terms of actual, uh, well, worthwhile games. No offence to the mobile stuff, but um, it, this is huge. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because everyone's like, uh, everyone's going crazy about Metroid Prime 4. They're like, oh, Bandai Namco's working on Metroid Prime 4, and we're over here, you know, chiming away on Ridge Racer, as if anyone really cares anymore, but, <laughs> but we do, so. Well, I mean, it's obvious because you see a lot of people saying, look, but that's a PlayStation exclusive, and you're like, oh, well... God, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. But the less time the less time we owe to that discussion, the better. But, yeah, yeah Ridge Racer 8... At first, I was excited because anytime you see Ridge Racer in the news, if if you like racing games, if you like arcade racing games, um, it's it's exciting. You you don't want these series to completely fade away into obscurity, which is what's happened with Ridge Racer and a lot of its contemporaries. But always, immediately after I see something like that, it's followed by a, a feeling of just like dread and worry. And I I got that. You know, the second. The second I looked at this, I was like, oh, Ridge Racer 8. I've been waiting to see those words for so long. Yeah. And then, you know, Switch exclusive, I'm fine with. My, my Switch could use all the racing games anyone wants to throw at it. I, I haven't been playing my Switch in a very long time, even though I should, just because I don't have racing games on it. But then just all the, just all that worry set in and all the, you know, wishy-washiness of, like, how is this going to turn out? Like, the last... The last many Ridge Racer games have been ports, or or not yeah. not straight up ports, but they, very little has changed between them. Uh, I'm of the mind that you could basically 
trace every Ridge Racer game back to the 2004 PSP one is, is basically one game, in my opinion. I, the differences between them are so slight, and so much content is carried over. I, I'm just waiting for something new, but I don't think Namco has uh, the budget, or, or in this case, wants to even, even if they did, want to spend the money on making an all-new Ridge Racer game with a new engine. And the fact that this is a Switch game, uh, purportedly means that they could basically get by porting any of their last-gen Ridge Racers oh, easily. Uh, to, this, to this system. Yeah, and y- you've just pointed out the exact problem I have with Ridge Racer for as much as I love it. It's such a mismanaged IP. I'm still not even sure what they want to do, wanted to do with that Vita release when they brought it out initially, mm. and the game had, like, what, three cars and four tracks, and you had to buy, like, a pass to get access to more content that already existed in previous games. But not to derail the conversation with how bad that Vita game was, but I mean, like you said, the fact it's on the Nintendo Switch does lend the opinion that this could be another port, basically. The problem there is that this is a pretty big deal, especially if it's an exclusive, because we know right now that when it comes to generating hype, there's no one quite like Nintendo. With the Switch for the past year, they've managed to keep everyone interested and engaged. And if they've got a racing game exclusive that isn't just a port of a mobile game or a Wipeout clone, then this is a pretty big deal. We've got a new studio working on it perhaps as well, Bandai Namco Singapore. And also for a bit of background context, there was a rumour not so long ago that Bandai Namco were working on free exclusives for the Nintendo Switch. And if this news is to be believed, this means this is one of them. So you'd think that Bandai Namco are all in on the Switch hopefully enough to get new Ridge Racer content and not just uh, another port yeah and you know when I say the games recently have been similar they, they have been similar but there have been improvements made I, I'm i of the very small camp that the Vita game while terribly managed was a potential for something great Definitely. Um, it, it had a lot of content that wasn't in the previous games. It had a lot of callbacks, too. Like, uh, there, there were a couple cars in that game that we haven't seen since, like, Rage Racer. You know, we a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of interesting names made their way back into the series. We even got that really strange but really awesome Daytona USA Hornet expansion, which was Oh, yeah. Fantastic. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, and a ton of music tracks and a ton of uh, a ton of race tracks, too. And the, the thing about Vita was it was uh, it, it was so badly panned right out of the gate yeah. that all of the content that I think Namco was going to charge for, they ended up giving away for free. So... I don't think this will play out like that. I, I don't think they're they're stupid enough to make the same mistake again in terms of giving you no content in the beginning for you know forty dollars or whatever, and then making you pay for everything down the line. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It's so hard to tell. I don't think I don't think that they really want to bring Ridge Racer back for Ridge Racer. I think they see an opportunity to come out with a racing game on a system that doesn't get racing games, and Ridge Racer in its, you know, arcade nature is well suited for the Switch exactly. in that way. And they're just they're just cashing in on it. And I can't blame them for that, but at the same time, as a fan of this series, I want something new. And I just yeah. I don't think they're gonna give it to us. I mean, I'll play devil's advocate here and say I'm that guy that doesn't mind ports galore on the Switch. So if this turned out to be like a best of Ridge Racer collection, 
I would actually enjoy it despite my best intentions not to. <laughs> I would yeah. love to have it on there, but you're right, this is an opportunity as an actual numbered title in the Regenerator series, not that unbounded thing <laughs> not too long ago, um, to bring the series back, but I mean, it's like you said, this could simply be a chance to capitalise on a market not yet gathered by anybody else. It suits the ethos of the Switch because it's going to offer some arcade racing fun. And we're talking about it as if it's already announced. But the fact yeah. is, that all, all signs are pointing to it being real. And it'd be such a strange thing to, to fake because, let's be honest, it's only guys like us that are really excited about this now. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's you, When you announce that news alongside a supposed Metroid Prime 4 piece of information, I think I know where everyone's going to flock to. <laughs> Yeah, and the fact that it's a Singapore studio too is interesting because I think it's almost like a Sony XDev situation where it's like a non-primary studio uh, from this company handling one of Namco's oldest IPs and an IP that they probably haven't worked on before makes me think that they're just doing porting duties. Uh, and, and if it's Ridge Racer 7 on the Switch, Ridge Racer 7 was probably the best of the modern Ridge Racer games only because they actually tried it seemed like because <laughs> um, you know just to just to go through the history a little bit uh, Ridge Racer or Ridge Racers on the PSP in 04 uh, at the time it was very new it was a new direction for a series uh, and then th- that, that game had nitrous right it does yeah yeah but didn't have some of the more crazy nitrous features. But I think it was like one nitrous system. See the way in yeah. um, seven, yeah. they developed it a bit more. I believe it was just like the usual burst boost where you filled up. Yeah. So that was like a reinvention for a series back, you know, uh, almost fifteen years ago, and then they did another game on the PSP that uh, at least we we didn't get in the states. Um, but I think it came out elsewhere around the world. I was always upset we didn't get that game simply because it had even more old tracks. It had a couple of the ones that were missing from. Uh, I, I think that game actually had every PS One Ridge Racer track in it, which like the very first oh, Ridge wow. Racers on the PSP missed a couple. Yeah. So that was cool. At the time, I mean, it was a new flavor for a series, but it was awesome. They were bringing back, especially a lot of, like, it had the Rage, uh, sorry, the Rave Racer tracks, which we, I have, like, never gotten the chance to play Rave Racer anywhere. Like, it's extremely rare. So that was cool. Uh, Ridge Racer 6 was, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that game. (laughs) That game was pretty bad. It was, I think that's, I think that's the absolute worst point of the series, unless we're going to count stuff like Unbounded, but... Yeah, that was that was pretty dire. And then seven basically made six into a, you know, it, it fleshed out six in a way where it didn't feel as hopeless. You know, you had some nice customization here and there, and and a fleshed out career mode a little bit, and some new cars and some new tracks, a couple callbacks to old things. Uh, and then there was that Vita one that we talked about. It's just been in this place where it's been like, just kind of treading water and. You know, how many times you want to remake that same game? Like, they came yeah. out with Slipstream on phones, which was basically the PSP game again. There were also, I, I should mention, there was a 3DS one, which I yes. never played. But I don't know how that relates to the rest of the series. Because it did have, for a while, it had some exclusive cars and tracks that I think came to Ridge Racer Vita a little bit later down the line. Yeah, I think it did. So, 
I don't know. I, Ridge Racer is one of those things that I don't want to see news and, and get too optimistic. I mean, last time that happened with an arcade racer was Daytona Championship USA, and, <laughs> and we know how that turned out. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but who knows? I mean, look, let's be honest. Whatever happens, I'm going to buy it. Yeah, exactly. I'll be there day one. <laughs> Faster than day one. Any, anything with the original name is unfortunately against all <laughs> trying to maintain your consumer rights just going to grab me. I, I should be holding out and saying, no, I'm not buying the same stuff again. But it's going to happen. So, um, there are rumours are hinting at another potential in Nintendo Direct, which is where they tend to announce a lot of their games within the next month or so. So it'll be interesting mm. to see if we get any more information. Because I'm guessing on the Metroid Prime side of things, they'll probably keep that for E3, but who knows? Nintendo working yeah. some wonderful and equally not-wonderful mysterious ways, so we'll have to keep tabs <laughs> on how this develops. That is that is what they do best. Yeah. So I guess that puts a lid on the Rig Racer 8 stuff, uh, but there is more arcade racing news, and I would say less certain but more potentially positive news in that uh, we found out that they uh, might be uh, is it Sumo? Might be working on a new Sonic Racing game? That's it. Okay. Yeah, so Sumo Digital uh, worked on the previous two Sonic Racing, the Sonic All-Stars Racing and the Transformed one as well Uh, and then we found out in a one of their internal slideshows uh, an unannounced carding game based on a global IP. What else could that be in a sumo digital slideshow? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like the most the worst kept secret ever. Right. And then there were uh, toys uh, by a, a British toy company named, named Zappies that leaked uh, on a German Sonic blog called Spin Dash. Uh, they said that they were preparing toys for a new Sonic kart racer. Those two games are fantastic. Transformed, you had, I think, the best tweet of 2018 already a couple <laughs> a couple days ago, Brendan, when you said that uh, Sonic Racing Transformed is the best karting game except for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And uh, I actually went to work a couple days later and said that to, to people uh, at my job, and they were just like, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're probably right. Yeah. I mean... It was so good. It was it was so much better. Anytime Sumo does anything, especially with Sega, because you always expect other disappointment, <laughs> it's so much better than it has any right to be. I think... And Sorry, how do you go? Oh, I can't wait. No, no, go on. And I was just going to say, like, from looking at the Sega history standpoint of racing games, I think what made Sega... Uh, sorry, Sonic Racing Transform so good was, like, it didn't try to just be another Mario Kart. It was almost like a regular arcade racer with cart mechanisms behind it and that's what was really fun it wasn't about jumping and drifting it was just about like outrun style drifting round the tracks and the amount of fan service on show was ridiculous and I know that's an easy way to get people on board but the way Sonic Transform did it was so much better than most games because I mean they got one of the best artists in Sega history to come back and do some uh, remixes and in terms of music and the actual tracks themselves were just so dynamic with the uh, flying and boat mechanisms, and I know we've seen something similar in like Diddy Kong Racing and that type of thing, but Transform just nailed it really well, and this is some interesting news to say the least, because just to give a bit of a, a timeline of how the news broke, so the Sumo, um, the leaked Sumo presentation came out first, and that's when everybody was saying, no, obviously that's Sonic Racing, and then, um, community manager for Sonic, Aaron Weber, came out and said, we're not working on, and he specifically said, a Sonic 
All Stars Racing Transformed sequel. So the reason I say that wording is key is because then Zappies say, oh, we've been commissioned to make racing games for... Sorry, commissioned to make toys for a new Sonic racing game. So is it possible that it might be not a different franchise, but the name has changed? Sonic R, so, baby! Yeah, exactly, Sonic <laughs> R 2, definitely. <laughs> but, I mean, that's maybe looking into it a bit too much, but if there's something that the Sonic uh, social media team are really good at, it's been very um, smart, because they, they always do these kind of hints and... They, they kind of soft, unconfirmed certain news just so they can say, oh, we got you, because it was actually true. So I, I don't know, yeah. I feel like it's two to one here. Sorry, Aaron, but <laughs> there's, there's two pieces of uh, evidence now that uh, this game could be coming. So I, I'm firmly in uh, this the, This is a not-fake camp. I, I think this is going to happen. Yeah, no, if there's anything a Sonic Tour is good at, it's what you just described and also just scathing self-deprecation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're currently making fun of Sonic Forces while it's still on sale. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that game that game should be made fun of all the time. Yeah, um, yeah so... It's it's interesting piece of news because, you know, how, as, as you said you know how are they going to spin this if it's not a straight up transform sequel but also it got me thinking like where do they go from here because it's like they did everything you could do with a kart racer with transformed you know it would be more or less new maybe i guess new characters new tracks of you know from old sega properties just like transformed has I'm, I'm kind of at a loss to, to figure it out. I mean, even if Sumo just made Transformed again, but with new content, it would be fantastic because Transform was a great game. And it's great that you pointed out like that it was kind of just a, a regular arcade racer with some cart, cart racing cues here and there because it felt like that. One thing that I don't think uh, Nintendo gets enough criticism for with Mario Kart is that if you go back and play, especially the earlier ones, they don't handle very well. Like... Everyone loves to talk about how great Double Dash is, but Double Dash has, like, this weird, like, floaty, like, on-ice kind of physics where you're just kind of sliding all over the place and you don't... It just doesn't have that crisp feeling that you want from a racing game. And uh, 64 is kind of the same way. And I think they only really... I'm going to assume that 7 handled well. I didn't have a 3DS, but the first time that I really felt in tune with the handling model in, in a Mario Kart game was 8, and it's been fantastic, yes. but still, for me, nothing compares to that drift button in Transformed. You could just, you could link together these insane drifts. I remember, I think it was a Panzer Dragoon track that just had this, like, spiraling kind of, like, circle, uh, just, like, almost like this parking garage style, like, you're <laughs> drifting down in a constant circle, constant radius, and you could do it, and I just linked together this drift that was like 10 seconds long or something like that, is you could do routinely on many of those tracks, and it was just so much fun. Yeah. yeah. So, I'd love to see that series make a comeback, but if it's not that series, yeah, how, how are they going to do it? Exactly, and I mean, if they're going to drop, they're, like, people are speculating, and basically what they're going to say is that Sonic's name might be dropped from the title. So you've got Sega Racing, uh, whatever. And if they go down that route, I'd really like to see them try and tap into their um, more prolific series nowadays, because I loved having BD Joe in the game, of course, because I'm a huge Crazy Taxi fan. 
But then there was other choices that a lot of people would be able to resonate with. Like, once again, like Alex Kidd is a good example. He was an unlockable character. And I know him, of course, and you'll know him as well, Adam, because we are total fanboys. But for a lot of people, the, the roster wouldn't have been that great. So maybe it's time to get um, Kazuma from Yakuza, uh, mm. Hatsune Miku. I mean, they, they published those games. Oh, yeah. And even outlandish picks. Like, I believe Sega still have the license for the initial D games. Why not ah, get the E86 really cool. in there? And the, oh, Sega's got a lot of uh, these franchises that they could bring to the game in place of the obvious picks. Like, I like Super Monkey Ball, but maybe it doesn't need three slots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Maybe <laughs> II is all we need. Yeah, exactly. So if they decide to go with Sega Racing All-Stars or something of that ilk, then there's a lot of um, franchises they could tap into that might generate a bit more hype than Danica Patrick and Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> Hey, hey, a lot of people bought that game because of Danica Patrick. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, Bayonetta. How, how could I forget as well? Bayonetta, yeah. yeah. Bayonetta, I think, is a shoe in That's definitely the case. I, All I can say is that my goal... What I've done with the last couple kart racing games I've played, uh, which I would lump in Mario Kart 8 and also, um, and also Transformed, is that there's usually one vehicle in the game that I want. And for us... I think it goes without saying at the ages thing, ages, car, oh, yes. boat, whatever, which is the last thing you unlock in that game. I was playing, I mean, it requires you to beat the game anyway, but I was like, once I get that, like, I, I've achieved everything I want to achieve in this game. Uh, and if you don't, if you never played that game, uh, what it is is the car version of the cart is Hornet from Daytona USA. And the boat i think is a dreamcast controller and i yep. can't i think i guess the plane is is a plane afterburner i can't afterburner, remember yeah it's the jet from afterburner i can't eat i think it's the bobcat isn't it or something if it is like sega racing or whatever if that's what they call it and they kind of not they'll never get away from sonic but they open themselves up to even more sega properties yeah this is sumo digital they made a game called outrun 2 we know, uh, well, one of my favorite things about Outrun 2 is that it had, uh, as unlockables, the Scud Race tracks and the Daytona USA 2 tracks. Yes. And I would not be surprised, if what you're saying ends up being the case, I would not be surprised if we saw one of those games in the track lineup. And if, if that happens, oh my god. <laughs> well, I mean, Outrun 2 was in the... Oh, sorry. So you mean the unlockable games? My bad. <laughs> I, yeah, I um, mean, so so they had they had an outrun track in uh, in Transformed, but yeah. I'm saying like, you know, if they're going to open this up to even more properties, look, I mean, if they put a Scud Race track in the game, they're not doing it for anyone other than themselves because no, not many people know. I mean, we would be excited, but it's not going to be something that's going to resonate with a lot of people. But then, to yeah. be brutally honest. Neither is Panzer Dragoon, and neither is Burning <laughs> Rangers. Like they've made these choices with the last couple games that like are incredibly esoteric, you know, for the average person who's playing these these games. And I think, but I think they're aware that like if you're playing this, uh, you're you're either you know just someone who appreciates a good kart racing title, in which case maybe the cars and tracks and characters don't matter to you as long as you're having fun, and that game is tremendously fun, or you're a rabid Sega, fan, Sega fanboy, in which case yes. anything that they're going to put in there is going to speak to you. So, yeah, I I want them to make more outlandish picks if they're going to do this again, for sure. I totally agree, because 
I'll go out on a limb here and say the average consumer seeing like AI on the cover of this game isn't just going to go, oh, well, I'm going to buy that. It's not enough. It's not enough stronger of a pool. So like Sumo did before, it just makes sense to put as many little throwbacks into Sega's history as possible because I remember um, once Transformed came out, um, they were pretty, Sumo were pretty active on the official forums. And somebody asked, like, so what's the situation with, like, Sega Rally, for example? Um, you, of course, did the porting for online arcade. Is there any chance we could get a track of Sega Rally and stuff? And the answer they gave always kind of annoyed me a little bit because it was like we couldn't think of a, a good enough gimmick to introduce it. And it's like, you've already got the Sega fanboys there. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like, yeah. we're, they're waiting. They would be happy to have that content even if it wasn't great because the Outrun track isn't that great, if we're going to be honest. It's exactly what we want. But it's not enough to say, like, oh my god, somebody that doesn't know Outrun's going to love this track. <laughs> yeah, it works. I mean, it's uh, it's the Outrun 2 SP one, yep. the, the first one, and then you break away in that big turn to, like, just go in the water, which is, like, it's such an easy thing to do when you're designing a track, I imagine, of just, like... Oh, now we're in the oceans where you where you don't need to model anything except water yeah. for miles, <laughs> and the track so. needs to loop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where a track needs to loop. So, but I'm fine with it. I mean, I would say that what shocked me because I went into the game tra- Transform specifically not knowing anything that was going to happen, not knowing what properties were going to make a comeback, and I I knew that uh, I, I think I knew about the Ages car eventually once I did some research, but I knew that. You know, House of the Dead, of course, was going to be in there, and I knew that some other series. I think I even knew Panzer Dragoon, but yes. what I what I was not ready for was Burning Rangers. And uh, my brother, uh, my my brothers are a lot older than me, uh, and they had a Saturn growing up, and and I I played Burning Rangers when I was a kid, and I was never very good at it. But oh my god, when I when I got to the one Burning Rangers track, not expecting it at all. I lost my shit. I was so happy to, to just see Burning Rangers and like reference in a game in like 2014 or 2015 <laughs> or whatever that game came out. Oh man, that was that was insane. And Sumo is so good at that, but they're so good at at, at not just digging up stuff like that, but actually, <clears throat> you know, still not forgetting that this can't just be an empty reference. It has to be fun. It yeah. has to be it has to be fun for everybody who's playing the game. It has to make sense. I, I do see where they're coming from with the Sega Rally point, just because, like, yeah, I don't really know how you do, like, the desert track and then, you know, add in a sky portion and a sea portion, for example. <laughs> or, like, how they would do it. I guess, like, they could do it with the mountain track or something like that. I, I don't know. It can be difficult for some of the more serious racing games that Sega has made. But I have complete and other trust in that company, and... In recent years, they've started to do more stuff on their own. They did uh, Snake Pass was them, correct? Yes. I think it was. Yeah. yeah. But, and, you know, to be honest, they don't even need Sega. They're, they're a great studio on their own. They're, to me, they remind me a lot of, like, uh, they, I don't know. I lump them in the same category as, like, Criterion, you know, with Burnout back in the day. And, uh, and, and you know, I guess especially that series would be a good example. Or Bizarre thinking about games like Blur, like, they're a really good studio when it comes to making fun arcade racers, and I wouldn't even be, uh, I wouldn't even have a problem if they went out and made their own thing, whatever that would be, just because I want to see more from them. 
I totally agree. Sumo is one of those strange studios because even in their most recent catalogue, they like they took over Little Big Planet Three because Media Molecule are working on Dreams, and they do a lot of porting work and that type of thing. And it's like there's a lot of talent there, and I, I quite enjoyed Snake Pass, but they they can they could easily make their own racing game like you're saying. I don't think they they need the license. But if, if we're going to get one with the Sega license again, then I can't see what they come up with because they're batting pretty well just now, as far as I'm concerned. I really enjoyed the first Sega racing game as well. So I, I can't wait to see how this one pans out. I think Sumo are good at this type of thing. And like you were talking about the little details in that Burning Rangers track, the fact that Echo the Dolphin is in one of the big tubes. Oh, I never like, noticed that. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> you don't notice it at all. No. And then, like, one time... I'm well, trying not to drown when I'm in that track. I'm not even thinking of anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just so dense with content that I used to take a, like, a slow drive around just to see where they had had some references and stuff. And I seen the dolphin at first and I was like, that's probably just a regular dolphin. And then you see the little star um, icons on the body and it's like, oh my God, they've actually put Echo the Dolphin <laughs> in this track. And it was full of, full of little details like that, even the Rainbow Road equivalent with all the hidden um, Sega console logos yeah. hidden throughout. And yeah, they're a great studio. They understand what Sega fans want while also making a, a good standalone game. So I really hope that this rumour turns out to be true. And if it doesn't, well, we'll always have transformed it. Yeah, exactly. I I would buy Transformed if they just pour it again. Yes, <laughs> definitely. It's a fantastic game. But yeah, uh, all I'll say at this point is that if you weren't very enthused by our last two discussions, you're not going to like the feature topic. <laughs> so <laughs> get ready for that. So for our featured topic this week, what we're going to be talking about is our favorite racing game soundtracks. And I there are so many picks I could make, uh, and I'm sure you too, Brendan. But the funny thing is that when we really sat down and thought about it, they just ended up being entries from the two series that we just talked about. Which <laughs> <Yeah>. is <laughs> why this is an oddly, you know, very thematically arranged episode. And it, it wasn't supposed to turn out that way, but it did. Yeah, I mean, I guess that just shows how much we love these series that were discussed. And I mean, if, if basically admitting that we just buy ports of the previous two games <laughs> wasn't enough, then this will surely drive the point home. 
Yeah, so the way we're going to do this is we're going to be talking about our favorite original soundtracks and our favorite licensed soundtracks, and I think we're both going to mention two off the bat, but I mean, I could keep going if, depending on how the how the show shakes out, if we got a little bit more time, we can always talk about some more, and I think, uh, <clears throat> although we're not doing this right now uh, in post-production, I'll layer some, some tracks from these games underneath so you can hear what we're talking about. Maybe we'll even take some breaks in the conversation so you could hear the tracks in their full detail uh, without us talking over them. But we'll figure that out down the line. For now, we're just going to talk about these games. Uh, and I guess I'll get us started off with uh, my favorite original racing game soundtrack, which there are so many I could pick, but I think when it comes down to my number one choice, it always has to be Ridge Racer Type 4. Uh, I don't know how much experience. I mean, you're a Ridge Racer fan, but uh, do you? Uh, how do you feel about the soundtrack, Brendan? Uh, it's pretty godly. <laughs> I think that's yeah, okay. how I'd, uh, <laughs> I'd explain it. Yeah, what a pick this is to get it started. Um, it's just a perfect jazz trance remix, uh, remix that the series needs. Yeah, it really changed the direction, the trajectory of Ridge Racer stylistically uh sonically right off the bat you start this game and you get this song uh called urban fragments which is it's you know straight up kind of this like acid jazz like you're in like a really a really classy bar in in new york or something like that and some some skyscraper like rooftop bar and you got this you got this jazz singer uh her name is kamara lovelace I don't know what she's doing now, but uh, <laughs> she's singing on this track, and it just it just oozes this like style, and and you you know like right off the bat, there's going to be something special, and especially when you're uh, you put yourself back in the time frame. This is 1999. You're watching this, uh, you know, CGI pre-rendered opening, and I still think the Ridge Racer Type Four intro is I think the most beautiful game intro I've ever seen. It's such a work of art. Uh, the way it plays out, you have uh, Reiko Nagase, who's like the Ridge Racer uh, girl or whatever. Uh, she's, <laughs> she's like waking up and she turns to stereo and this song comes on. And then outside her apartment, there are these cars drifting around. Uh, as, know, as they do. <laughs> yeah, as they do in Ridge Racer. All in a synchronized drift, even though they're supposed to be competing for the lead. <laughs> and then she's, you know, but she's got to get to work. And she's she's got her work is, you know promoting uh real racing routes so you know she's walking and as she's walking she gets past and and then eventually she gets passed by the hero car which is the uh the Asoluto basante uh the real uh the racing team Silvalu uh car and the guy stops lets her in the car and then the, he speeds away to finish with her in the passenger seat and it's just such a such a cheesy but such a, a beautifully made opening with the music that perfectly syncs up with it and there are so many tracks or uh, music tracks. There are so many songs in this game that just feel right at home. I mean, it's you know, you you really get the feeling that that not only was this not an afterthought, the soundtrack, but that the game was almost made for the soundtrack. It was like they came up with the with the Sonic Direction first game, and they're just like, we're going to make a game that plays like this sounds because. It just got so much... You can tell that they were completely on their game, the Namco sound team. I mean, it just... Oh, God. It, 
I'm sorry if I'm just, you know, waxing hyperbole and everything, but this is a legendary soundtrack for me. It really is. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm racking my brain here trying to think of a way of saying things different than you've just said because it, it's so true. The style of the game from the music down to the menu design is just so in tune. You begin to wonder if that was there before the game was. <laughs> it's like Namco, it's just prime Namco in that era where everything just had this classiness to it that really made you hype to play Ridge Racer and it sounds really stupid as well but the Ridge Racer series has always had that great mindset of even the worst tracks in the game are still better than anywhere else and I mean you you got the soundtrack for Christmas didn't you Adam recently? Oh yeah so I was going to bring that up yeah. and I completely forgot so I, I've wanted the you know the physical soundtrack of this game forever and i went on amazon a while ago or or, or play asia or something like that and i found the soundtrack and it was like oh you can get a used copy for like 30 dollars or a new copy for 115 or something it's like well i mean i don't really care i'll get a used copy it doesn't matter at all to me but right before christmas uh amazon i don't know if they if this went back in print Recently, it had to have, because Amazon was like, oh, new copies, $30. <laughs> I'm like, what? Okay. So I got it for Christmas, and I was amazed that um, like my, my parents gave it to me, and I gave them my Amazon wish list, and even though I do that, usually there's still some trepidation about, like, well, I don't know what this is or where it's coming from, so I won't buy it. But, of course. But they, they came through, and, and I, I unwrapped the Ridge Racer Type 4 soundtrack, and I just went into a state of, of shock and... Uh, and bliss and it was it was a beautiful moment i now have that in my room like displayed prominently next to the uh the super hang on soundtrack that i have hung up on the wall the uh oh god what's the name of that company it produces the the vinyls uh, i can't remember uh data disc yeah oh. the data disc uh, super hang on soundtrack so I think um, you've just accidentally stumbled upon a, a nice hint for Ridge Racer 8. Perhaps there's going to be a special edition that comes with all the soundtracks, and that's why they're back in print. Oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I mean, I, I hope so, because I'll just go through. Well, the other thing I wanted to talk about besides just the, you know, just talking about music, which, as they say, is like dancing about architecture. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention were uh, to give credit to the people who worked on these soundtracks and... Uh, as I'm reading off of Wikipedia now, uh, Kota Takahashi, Hiroshi Akubo, A- Asuka Sakai, Tetsukazu Nakanishi, I'm sorry I'm butchering these names, and Koji Nakagawa. These were the main people from the Namco Sound Team who worked on the Ridge Racer Type 4 soundtrack. And I want to give special attention to the first two names there, uh, Kota Takahashi and Hiroshi Akubo. Hiroshi Akubo, from what I understand, led the charge on this soundtrack. He was the one who... Um, who really composed composed not only most of the tracks but also like came up with the artistic direction for it and did a fantastic job and uh kota both of these of these men worked on numerous ridge racer soundtracks uh were featured prominently going forward uh especially in ridge racer 5 and also our racing evolution which also has a fantastic soundtrack uh our racing uh evolution deserves more credit for a bunch of reasons that we'll probably discuss one day on this podcast but the soundtrack is one of them and a lot of the same notes that you get from the ridge racer 4 soundtrack uh, are also present in that games as well and it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that okubo worked on both so 
Yeah, just to go through some of my favorite songs, I think my favorite song in this game is Pearl Blue Soul. It's the very first one you hear when you start the campaign and you're at the Helter Skelter, which is the first track in the game. It's just a, it's a great introductory track to the game. It feels like Ridge City uh, in previous entries, but it's also like got, you know, it's more detailed. And it, this game came out in 99, so Namco was doing things with the PlayStation hardware that nobody else was doing. And so it, the track in this environment felt really special. Uh, and the, the song was um, a really memorable moment for me. It's a well-paced soundtrack, too, because even though it all fits thematically, there are a lot of songs that kind of uh, go off into their own own directions. Like, Brim and Rubber has this kind of, like, breakbeat aspect to it where just the entire song kind of decomposes halfway through, and you almost lose track of, like, where everything's going, and then it just kind of all reconfigures itself again. Uh, I'm sorry, I could go on forever. We should probably move on. <laughs> No, no, I mean, just a, a final point about the tracks we've just discussed there. They also heavily reminded me of a Rage Racer soundtrack. That kind of intense side to the Ridge Racer soundtracks that occasionally comes out. I think Rage Racer in itself was an expansion on that. Yeah, so Ridge Racer uh, and Ridge Racer Revolution or, or Ridge Racer 2, and I guess you could also lump in Rave as well. All of those games were very... Uh, of the time let's say those soundtracks kind of they had this like happy hardcore aspect to them which is almost yeah. like <laughs> it's honestly grating it's never something i've liked there are a couple original ridge racer tracks i like like the title track and like um uh, uh rare hero there, there are always a couple in there uh rhythm uh, rhythm something god damn it hero yeah rhythm is yeah yeah so there, there are some pretty good original uh, Ridge Racer songs, but nothing that really stuck with me. And also, I think at the time they were probably making those songs with, uh, they weren't recording full, you know, to the full capabilities of the PlayStation's, uh, you know, audio capabilities, I guess. You know, it was probably MIDI or it was probably like compressed in a way where you weren't getting the full depth yes. of the system and, and the audio tracks it could produce. But uh, once they got around to Rage Racer and Ridge Racer 4, uh, it was fantastic. And it should be said, said that uh, if you have copies of these games, I don't think Ridge Racer 4 applies, but Rave Racer, or sorry, Rage Racer, you can put that into a CD player if you are you know still have yes. one and listen to all of those songs. You can burn it to whatever device you use to listen to music because it's all Redbook Audio. And uh, yeah, the Rage Racer soundtrack is also fantastic. It, it's... Definitely, when you listen to it, it definitely feels like a stepping stone on the way to R4. It's not quite as jazzy, but it's just as, like, emotionally reflective and just as, like, subtle, you know? Especially the yeah. uh, the softer tracks on that game. 
they hit the same kind of notes that R4 does, but it feels... It's actually interesting because it feels more um, modern and, I guess, synthetic, but the tracks in that game are all very... You're driving through, like, old old Europe, essentially. There's nothing that feels modern about about the racing and the, and the environment and the staging of that game, but the soundtrack feels very modern. Yeah. I'll, I'll stop now. I'll let you get on to your, uh, your pick for original soundtrack, Brendan. <laughs> no worries. Um, so, my pick for the original soundtrack is Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transformed. Now, I know we briefly discussed it uh, just prior to our break there, but th- there's a reason why I think this is one of the best original soundtracks ever, and the, the reason I wanted to highlight it. And it actually links into the whole ethos behind the game in the sense that it's all very layered. So every track in the game for the actual racing tracks is actually usually a mash of two or more songs, which I think is a really cool way of doing remixes, especially in a racing game. So just for an example, uh, the first Sonic track that you do in the game is a mix between the Sonic CD Japanese intro song to to Sonic Warrior and also... um, theme song from Sonic R and it's such a strange mashup but it works very well because uh, it's Richard Jacks who of course does the the arrangements and this guy just knows Sega inside out every single song in the soundtrack is pretty much bang on and he brings this like unique Eurobeat element to the game that's also mashed with (laughs) of all things dubstep which must have been huge at the time and it just, it's, does it sound as strange as it feels to say it, Adam, like out loud? Because it just sounds like a mess, but for some reason it works so well. Yeah, I have to be honest that something about that game, I think it's because it's just so crazy that I the soundtrack, it didn't stand out to me in as much as like so much commotion, there's so many sound effects when you're firing weapons and other <laughs> characters are responding to you that it's just easy to get lost in the shuffle. But when I really try to think about it, like... Yeah, there were some pretty interesting things about that about that soundtrack. I completely forgot about the layered nature of it, especially what you described with the the Sonic Sonic R song and the Sonic CD song. But I know that uh, Richard Richard Jack he contributed some of the most memorable Sega soundtracks that I can think of in my youth. Uh, Sonic R and uh, Metropolis Street Racer. He worked on a lot of the songs in that game. And the Sonic R soundtrack is cheesy. I mean, there's no, there's no yeah. way of getting, getting around that. But can we deny? Like, you, you, you can't deny that it's very catchy, and you can't deny that, like, I don't know, if you played Sonic R growing up and you hear one of those songs, of course you're gonna sing along to, uh, you know, the Sunshine one and the, the Living in the City and and all that stuff. Like, they're memorable. He he definitely has a talent when it comes to making that kind of music, and it it fits right into a Sega Racer, no doubt. Yeah. And like you said about the game itself being like all the sound effects and all that happening, I think a good comparison then is between that and Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, where 8 Deluxe is like an orchestra, very very prominent, you can hear everything and the gameplay is slow enough that you're focusing on the soundtrack just as much as the gameplay. But in Sonic Transformed, I think the soundtrack suits it perfectly because it's just so crazy as well. Yeah, the the Mario Kart 8 Deluxe soundtrack, it's always a soundtrack that I see people online just like, even people don't care about soundtracks, just talking about how how much they love it. And it's, I, I really appreciate the attention that Nintendo put into it. 
I, I know this is going to be a, a historically bad take because I'm going to be less glowing on than everyone else. But um, every time that game starts, I can't help but hear the beginning of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> like, it's just so... Um, it, it's it's cheesy in a way that's just like... I don't know. There's there's cheese there's cheesiness that sits well with me, and then there's cheesiness that like... Look, I've always been a Sega guy, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll take, I'll take some old Sega tracks over some old Nintendo songs, and like, the giving, giving certain, giving some of those songs the orchestral treatment. I don't. It's very impressive in that uh, a, a video game company, even Nintendo, even with the money that they have, paid an orchestra to record these songs again just for this game. I, as, as a lover of, of video game music, I will defend that to the end. Yeah, and I will I will always stand by that, and I love that they did that. But the songs themselves, and it's no discredit to people who recorded them. Uh, it's I, I don't know they're just not the songs I want to hear while I'm racing. But when it comes to uh, Sonic Transformed, I mean you got that uh, the burning the burning rangers song again. I'm gonna go back to burning rangers when that starts and you hear burning rangers go. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I want to hear. Yeah, and that's that's fair enough that they are very different and Sonic Transformed just gets that people like you Adam want to hear Sega music and <laughs> I, I love it to bits. It's really hard to explain why it's so good because the first time I heard the dubstep elements to the songs I was like, this is a very weird direction to go in. But because the game is like this hodgepodge of characters aren't even Segas with tracks that go across land, sea and air. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, you know what? They had the vision and they went with it and Richard Jack just like like you say, he's made some of the most prolific Sega soundtracks. I, I mean maybe not from a purely musical scale amazing, but from a Sega fan's point of view, they have been memorable. And the thing I liked about the layered soundtrack was that you do the tracks for the first time and it starts off with a song and you're like, oh cool choice. And then yeah. it'll switch like halfway through to an even more hype song, and you're like, "Oh, that's so good! Like, such a good yeah. moment." And um, even like the the all star themes that play when you use like each character special. There was one that always stuck out to me. Uh, it was Metal Sonic's theme, and instead of going for um, the most obvious pick from Sonic CD, you have the boss battle on oh, the name is Stardust Speedway. Stardust Speedway. How did I forget yep. that? Anyway, um, instead of going for we're that, starting our Sonic podcast after this, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so instead of going with that theme, which was kind of generally accepted at that point to be the the official Metal Sonic theme song, um, they went for Sonic Four Episode Two's Metal Sonic theme, which in that game was absolutely crap. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm sorry, it's the well, only I'm way. Really, to... I'm really sitting at the edge of my seat, wondering how you're gonna turn this into a positive. Well, that is, <laughs> that's what I also asked when I heard it in the game because the remix in Sonic Transformed is somehow better in every way than the original that it was based on, and it's like, how does that even happen?
<laughs> this was a, a composition for a Sonic game that was supposed to be a sequel to one of the most loved trilogies in gaming, and they absolutely ruined it. And yet, you give it to Richard Jack and Sumo, and they're just like, it's okay, Sega, we'll pick up the pieces. <laughs> yeah, I, I think if you go through Sega's history, you find these teams and companies. I, when I say history, I mean recent history. You you see these teams and companies that you think, like, you should be running the company. And Sumo <laughs> Sumo is one of those... I mean, they're not a division. They're, they're their own company, but they've done so much Sega work. It's like, Sumo, to me, is like the Sega that should exist over regular Sega. Just like uh, the guys that worked on Mania should make every Sonic game ever from now until yeah. the end of time, and and Sonic Team shouldn't be allowed near near the franchise. Uh, and you know, Sonic Four was such an utter disaster. Oh God! Yeah, but <laughs> I'm so glad we don't have to talk about that in this racing podcast. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, yeah, so I that, think that as, was... it, as it pertains to racing games, you you basically described it in the best possible way. The music was bad. but that's like the perfect case study for how good Sonic Transform soundtrack was and it turned one of the the worst themes boss themes in a series' history into something quite listenable and not bad at all so yep uh, fair play I think uh, just also to to, to finalise on that point about Sonic 4 this game actually came out before episode 2 by a few weeks so a lot of people had heard the theme through this and they were like, oh, I can't wait to hear it with the Mega Drive oh, sound yeah. chip. And then it was the, the robotic cats meowing. The pretty... robotic cats meowing. <laughs> like in the Sonic 4 soundtrack too. So it was like, it was even worse because everybody had the expectation from Transform soundtrack. So yeah, thanks, Richard. <laughs> yeah, and, and the Sonic CD soundtrack, I think, is um, a soundtrack that would be very well suited for racing. Uh, and, and when I say the CD soundtrack, I'm talking specifically about the Japanese one. Yes. I guess the, Ameri- the the American one's fine too, but I don't think it's as uh, I think I don't think it would make for as good racing fare. So, yeah, there's a lot of I mean, when you think about Sonic, you're moving very fast. There's a lot of stuff that will work well for a racing game in there, no doubt, especially an arcade racer. Yeah, even like I think that's why Transformed works so well as a game, and also for its soundtrack because it's, a lot of it is fast paced and that kind of arcade style so I mean it's a 60 track soundtrack oh my and God. to be honest <laughs> most, most of them are pretty much good at the very least so that that is impressive I mean it's really annoying they've got the soundtrack on Spotify if anyone fancies a listen but it's all in Japanese mm. uh, the, the titles and the album names so you have to do some really weird stuff to find it. So, like, you type in Sega and then go to, like, the Outrun soundtrack and then hope for the best that it appears in the related. And then that's how you can find it. But, um, yep, so... It's Sonic Racing Transformed. Good soundtrack, in my opinion. It had some nice uh, Jet Set Radio songs in there as well. I don't think they actually remixed them <laughs> because they were just, like, pretty much perfect anyway. If it is remixed, it's very, very little. I think you're gonna have people who, if you if you touch any of uh, Hideki <laughs> Naganuma's work on that on those two games, they will they will find you. They will find where Richard Jack lives and kill him. <laughs> yeah. So, and and you know what? I can't I can't even argue with that. So, no, I'm the same. It's the same with the Samba de Amigo level as well. That's just songs from the game, and it's like, well, you can't really improve upon that because it's that specific style of music. But like Sonic soundtracks, even Burning Rangers somehow were rife for remixes. So, I mean, fair play. It's a it's a great varied soundtrack, and if there is going to be another Sonic racing game, I hope they get Richard back in. Yeah, real quick, did you 
Do you know what songs they have for Burning Rangers? Do they have uh, do they have the one with Takenobu Mitsuyoshi in it? The Burning Hearts. I don't know if you know that song. <sighs> I know I know the song, but I can't even think from the game if yeah. it's in there. I just wanted to raise that point. Uh, if you you know like Daytona USA, you probably already know this, but like uh, Takenobu Mitsuyoshi, who uh, who sang on all of those, you know, just classic Daytona USA songs also lent his pipes to a Burning Ranger song and it's glorious. It's called, I think it's called like Burning Hearts, Burning Angel or something like that. Um, and it's there's two versions. I think there's one with an American singer, but of course you want the one with Mitsuyoshi because who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. I mean um, there's a really good video on YouTube of when he did the Daytona soundtrack very recently for the past few years and he just looks as if he's having so much fun. I mean, get that guy in for every racing game soundtrack. <laughs> I guess he still gets a... I, look, I don't know what he does, I'm sorry. Because Sega is so, like, like just secretive about the things that you want to know about that company at this point. Yeah. That, like, I don't know if he's still a Sega employee, if they still pay him, if he just shows up to appear in videos with Daytona USA in them. I don't know what he does. But, um, I mean, I think he's still promoting Sega stuff on his social media account, so he's probably still a member of the company. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that guy, he's just hes just so happy to be doing anything that he's doing in any given moment. It's really, it really gives me the will to live. <laughs> yeah, he's that motivational. <laughs> yeah. Um, with that, uh, we'll move on to our licensed picks, and... This was one where I had a really hard time making a decision, and I'll I might I might have to just include the second one, even though we're probably already getting long on the podcast. But real quick, um, I will say as my number as my number one choice, uh, Wipeout Three, and Wipeout Three is almost not licensed because of reasons that. I'll explain, but basically, so, um, you know, Wipeout has always had a very, uh, its soundtrack has always just been on, <clears throat> on the, you know, cutting edge of, of musical taste, I guess, of, of where Electronica is going, and that's definitely, you know, that was definitely the impetus for a series, if you go back to the original game, I mean, they were, uh, that game was inspired by rave culture, it was inspired by what was going on. Uh, especially in the UK yeah. uh, with Electronica in the 90s with groups like uh, uh, with Chemical Brothers and uh, Prodigy and uh, Apex Twin and just everything coming out, especially the UK sound. And it it just worked so well and they just kept going back to that. Well, and every, every single time that they <clears throat> that they've done it, uh, it's it's always been very effective uh, in terms of choosing the songs for the game. Except I would go. Except I would say uh, Omega Collection. I'm not really too big on Omega Collection soundtrack. Yeah, but, it's not too good. <laughs> yeah, but then also you know they Studio Liverpool doesn't exist anymore, and they weren't making the decision. So you, you really can't blame them. Uh, blame XDev for that. They're not quite as in tune with the series. But I think it all came to a head with Wipeout Three because with Wipeout Three they actually went to the trouble of enlisting one of these artists, uh, his name is Sasha, he's a DJ, and he's still around today, uh, to compose some original songs for the game. So what you have is a mix of original music that Sasha made yep. and licensed songs from the artists that you would 
usually see in a wipeout game like Underworld, Orbital, Chemical Brothers, and Propeller Heads. These are, these are all names that are very common to Wipeout at the time. There, there weren't any, there wasn't like, a, you know, a fire starter, I guess. There wasn't something quite that memorable on this soundtrack, but you know, some people get really annoyed by fire starters, so maybe that's a good thing. Uh, but it, it, was, it was a very good mix, and the original songs that Sasha composed were indistinguishable in terms of quality, and, and and just effectiveness in the theme of the game as the uh, license tracks. And it really just, it blended really well. And uh, one of the songs that Sasha contributed to this game, uh, it's, it's a song called Expander, and it's not an original one that he made. Uh, he came out with an EP around this time uh, with Expander on it. But it is... I think it's in my five favorite songs of all time. Like, I think it is one of my favorite just just flat-out songs I've ever heard. Really? It's yeah. an amazing track, and it's something that I only got around to playing Wipeout 3 probably in, like, 2000, like, like 2010 or something like that. Like, I, I never... I, I think I played the game when it came out, but I was also very young. Yeah. So when I discovered this song in the Wipeout 3 soundtrack, and at this point, you know, I'm I'm like 17 or 18 or something like that. Yeah, it just it blew me away, this song. And they, they sped it up specifically for Wipeout 3. So if you listen to the original EP version, it's a little bit slower. And it, it's still great, but I think the sped up version, uh, it's just, just a slight speed change makes a big difference. one of the best of all time in terms of Wipeout as a concern so I mean like you said it just suits the game down to a T it tapped into that kind of underground rave trance generation that was building in the UK and Europe and it was that special touch that Studio Liverpool was so good at delivering yeah at this time they were also still working with Designers Republic which is a I don't know where they're based in the UK but they uh, they're an English uh, design firm you know mar- not really not so much marketing agency but just more general design firm uh, run by this guy named Ian Anderson and as someone who's always been interested in graphic design their work has always been extremely inspirational to me and uh, Studio Liverpool, uh, back then, Pignosis and uh, and Designers Republic did such amazing work on the first couple Wipeout games yeah. that it really, it really just like defined my taste in music and art and stuff growing up uh, to the point where um, 
you know, and it should be said that actually, same thing uh, for the the discussion that we just have at Ridge Racer Four. Uh, they Namco is really on the ball with that game in terms of uh, graphic design and just and cultivating a feel not just uh, not just sonically but visually as well. And it can't be avoided that both of these games you have to recognize came out the tail end of the PlayStation One's life cycle around yep. '99. So there. There just must have been something going around, some just like incredibly, uh, just this ambition and this need for for exploration this way by these developers all around the world that were being inspired by the same things, maybe from different places, but they were all kind of coming to the same conclusion. And I think uh, Wipeout 3, uh, these two games are tremendously emblematic of that, but as it pertains to Wipeout 3... Uh, for a series that has had so much great music, uh, for this soundtrack to to stand out uh, is is even more impressive when you consider that. Yes, totally agreed. Yeah, and I'll just give a, a quick shout out to some of the uh, licensed songs since the the basis I brought this up on is licensed music. Uh, Chemical Brothers under the influence is a great song. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Lethal Cut by Propellerheads, Nowhere to Run by Orbital, Surrender by MKL. These are some of my uh, my highlights. And unfortunately, you can't find all of these songs on places like Spotify simply because, uh, you know, the original ones won't show up there and certain versions of, uh, of these tracks, like, for example, Expander. I don't think Expander's on Spotify at all. Oh. But... Uh, but you definitely won't find the sped up version anywhere but in this game. But uh, fortunately, it also uses Redbook Audio. So if you are able to find a copy, you can get it on your computer or your CD player. Yeah, and and you'll be you'll be dancing. <laughs> right. So we're dealing in freeze because <laughs> my choice is Gran Turismo Free for the best licensed soundtrack. And this is also interesting because. Well, there, there is regional variances between this soundtrack. We, we had a brief discussion about this prior to starting the podcast, Adam, but the, the tracks I might mention is one of the most iconic for the game might have not even been in the American version. Yeah, yeah, this is an interesting point because I I would never have picked Gran Turismo 3. <laughs> and it's just because, <laughs> honestly, I don't like what Sony has done with the licensed soundtrack in America. I, I And I think... With GT5 and GT6, it got to this point where they were like, we'll just run the same stuff all over the world. But up until GT4 even, you guys got exclusive songs that we never got yeah. here. And the same goes for Japan as well. And I really just don't like their their opinion of the American listening audience really comes through in some of these songs. They're not very good. So. <laughs> like, I'm just having a look now and it really is the most obvious choices like Goldfinger 99 Red Balloons recently yeah. oh you didn't get that no, one no um, that one was pre- that was pretty memorable I mean Goldfinger's 99 Luft Balloons is a great song yeah. Goldfinger was uh, was very much of the time <laughs> <laughs> oh definitely I just see myself playing Tony Hawk anytime they see their name <laughs> yep <sighs> Superman yeah <laughs> Um, and like Jimi Hendrix, Judas Priest, it's pretty much Papa Roach as well. Jeez, um, I can't lie. I mean, Papa Roach is bad, but I love that <laughs> when I was like nine. Like that was my jam. Yeah, and 
There's a Snoop Dogg song? What? Yes, Snoop's Turismo 3. They got they got Snoop Dogg to... I don't know enough about Snoop Dogg to say whether this was like a song that already existed that he recorded new vocals for, which I'm, I assume that that's what this was, because yes. they're not going to get Snoop Dogg to do a completely original song. But in some ways, it was original. It was him rapping about uh, Gran Turismo and racing. <laughs> that is pretty crazy. So, I mean, the reason that I consider this one of the best... Are- the best licensed soundtracks is literally the inclusion of one band that I don't think made it across to the American shores. And you might know who I'm going to say. Um, I don't. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. I'm not looking at so, this on, on my computer, so I'm ready to be surprised. Well, Feeder, basically. Okay. That's yeah. it. All right. And um, Just a Day is pretty much one of those songs that everybody in the UK knows because of Gran Turismo 3. That's how large the impact was. Like, wow. no, not many people like they wouldn't know the name of the song but as soon as they heard it I, I genuinely believe 90% of people who've played the Playstation 2 would say Gran Turismo 3 and it's it's my favourite intro from the whole series when, it, when just a day starts and it's it was like a live recording for the soundtrack as well I believe so it's like a very unique version of the song that I've never been able to find um, hmm a lot of websites list it as the Alan Mulder mix, but it doesn't sound the same as it does in that intro. So that's what intrigues me. But like that song is just just the nostalgia is incredible. It's still one of my favourite songs even now. the other two songs from Feeder that was included Buck Rogers, Seven Days in the Sun, just fantastic songs that have stuck with me throughout the years and Buck Rogers is another one of those songs that not many people know the name of but they've heard it from Gran Turismo and know the first few lines everybody will sing, he's got a brand new car (laughs) (laughs) everyone knows that line. (laughs) I need to find these songs because I know something about Feeder but it really is only in the context of Gran Turismo. The only Feeder song I know, the only Feeder song that I've listened to over and over again is Shatter, which was oh, on yeah. the GT4 soundtrack. And I read a long time ago that uh, it was on the GT4 soundtrack and then never released. And the just from the people listening to that game, they got Feeder to release it on like a collection of singles yeah, or B-sides or something like that. Yeah, the singles, that was it, yeah. Yeah, they got, them, they got them to, to put that song on that album just because it was so popular in Gran Turismo 4 and people wanted it actually released, which really speaks to 
I mean, Europe has always been the main market for Gran Turismo, I think. Uh, yeah. It's always been where it's most successful. Uh, and GT3 uh, is, I believe, the second best-selling game on the PlayStation 2 worldwide, the first one being uh, Grand Theft Auto 3. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense that it would have that kind of broad appeal. There's no, there's no song, I think, on the American soundtrack that compares, except, I guess, Are You Gonna Go My Way by Lemmy Kravitz. But that was um, that was a remix in that game. I think actually sounds better than the original song. And also, I mean, Are You Gonna Go, go My Way was like his big single at the time. Yeah, So you course. heard that in other places as well. But, yeah, Feather seems to have this like legendary association with Gran Turismo fans uh, especially those who were lucky enough to hear their songs depending on where they lived yeah I mean that is it they, they basically they lived off that GT hype for so long and even uh, even now last December they announced a tour and the amount of times in the comment people were saying like let's go to relive the PS2 days <laughs> silly stuff like that <laughs> Yeah, like it's been so long but so many people still know the name Feeder from the game and yep over in the UK at least that, that is why Gran Turismo 3 had one of the best soundtracks and even outside of Feeder uh, Overseer also had three soundtracks uh, popular electronica group over here I don't know if, you've probably heard their work in SSX3 and that type of thing Adam oh yeah probably but we think I don't think we got those songs either no according to this list <laughs> anyway only again. The, it cannot be said <laughs> enough like GT1 and GT2 are different those games the soundtracks that they or the songs that they picked for the American market were fantastic yeah but because uh, I think they were actually pretty similar to the European ones I don't think there was a huge amount of variation there but GT3 and GT4. The American <laughs> licensed soundtrack was absolute dog shit. I'm sorry. I, I really, I really did not enjoy. It. Even when I was a kid and I was supposed to enjoy that music, like I think it was basically Papa Roach. And then the only other songs <laughs> I liked in that game were the Daiki Kasha ones, which were always were always great. But you yes, know, those were yeah. made for the game, so they don't really apply here. I mean, it's crazy how in one place it can be a cultural phenomenon, <laughs> and then in another. Well, that's what happens when you. Shit. That's what happens when you replace, you know, that with Judas Priest. I mean, that's where you're gonna get. And I'm sure our contingent of uh, classic rock fans are gonna, are if we have any, are gonna be very incensed by that comment. But I will say, did you guys get um, uh, she sells sanctuary by the cult? Uh it doesn't ring a bell right away I'll just have to check there, there you go that actually you know what that is <laughs> oh, that, was that is only. the best yeah. that is the best licensed song on uh, on the GT3 soundtrack that is is a fantastic song just in general like it's a it's a great song I think uh, we uh, GT Planet recently did their uh, favorite driving songs and I put together uh, I got everybody put together their uh, playlist and everybody made like 10 selections I put together the article on GT Planet and uh, I think it was uh, Andrew Andrew Evans, uh, the guy who does all the car reviews and stuff on GT Planet. He chose that song. I think there were a lot of uh, picks from previous Gran Turismo's on yeah. that in that article in that playlist. And you can go to Spotify and actually listen to the playlist yourself if you if you seek me out. But it's yeah, I mean it's it's a standout track for sure. So that's that's one thing that I can say that we got over you, but I'd still probably have feeders like four or five songs. <laughs> I'm gutted we lost out on that one song. But I, yeah, I can yeah, console exactly. myself. I'm sure you're really upset. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. So feeder alone made this soundtrack 
worthwhile and you've actually just made me think did you get a feeder soundtrack uh, sorry a feeder song in the original Gran Turismo then I assume not I don't think we did Sweet 16 yeah we didn't get that ah jeez man <laughs> yeah. it's so strange why they would make those changes because that's another one that it's a fantastic song and I heavily associate it with Gran Turismo so yeah, we miss Feather the entire time. And, and what I don't know if there was a Feather song in GT5 or something. We might have got... I don't know. I feel like eventually we got a Feather song. But yeah. it, through through the first four games... I mean, what? They were probably in every single Gran Turismo, right? Like like up to up to the PS3 days. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, there you go. I mean, and GT1, GT2, like I said, like the licensed soundtracks are pretty good all over the world. Um, well, actually, I can't speak to... I don't think they had any licensed music in Japan. But, like, we got... Uh, you know, there was obviously uh, uh, Cardigan's My Favorite Game, which, uh, in GT2, that that's a fantastic song. Yes. And that's something that we got everywhere, although I think you guys got a remixed version of it. Uh, and then, like, Everything Must Go, uh, Manic Street Preachers remixed by Chemical Brothers in the first game. So there, there's some there's some overlap here and there. But for the most part, I think GT3 and GT4 are really the height of Sony not trusting in the American uh, musical, you know, audience. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, well, at least it meant that we got a really good soundtrack and one that you get to catch up on. So, yeah, and, and I guess a point that I just realized is that, you know, Sony is a big entertainment company. They've got their own record label. A lot of it probably had to do with what they wanted to promote in these parts of the world. Mm. I mean, they probably thought like, oh, this will play in America, not just because it'll play in the Gran Turismo soundtrack, but because we can sell these albums and, and these artists in America. And we don't think that these same artists in America will be as successful elsewhere. When you think about their inclusions, like, yeah, I mean, it's there's there's no reason why you wouldn't put a Goldfinger song in in an American uh, game releasing in, in America in 2001. I mean, that band was huge and like pop punk. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. No, that is, that's a good point. I, I don't believe for a second that wouldn't have factored in. So, well, at least Gran Turismo 3 is still the best Gran Turismo ever. I'm sure you agree with that, Adam. So you don't have to give me any input. <laughs> I, so, so you know how, uh, you know how there's been that meme going around that's like your favorite, what your favorite game in every series says about you. Yeah. I almost made one for Gran Turismo until I realized it'd be tremendously uncool. I still might, but like, <laughs> oh, you my, 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 uh, description of GT3 and GT4, cause it was also very tongue in cheek. Although I do honestly feel this way. Uh, let me see if I can. I wrote it down in case I ever do want to release this to the world. <laughs> my, my description for GT3 was you like things for how remarkable they were at the time, even in light of better options. And then for GT4, I said you like the better options. Oh. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you need to release that just to see the hell that it unleashes in the Grand Turismo fan base. That should be. I mean, look, I'm I am the minority, at least of because GT Planet did that article and we all contributed. I I'm the minority amongst amongst you guys. Uh, everyone who prefers GT3, but I think GT3 is just the populist choice. Mm. Uh, I think you should go back and play those games and really really think about which one has the Sauber C9 because you won't find it in Gran Turismo 3. Well, I mean, your Gran Turismo 3 didn't have feeder, so. I guess <laughs> all points are invalidated. That was, I think we just came up with a good feature topic, though. We should we should have a we should have a debate about GT3 versus GT4 or something something like that, and just see 
see how how just angry we get on both sides but like maybe in that case we need like an arbitrator like a, a unbiased third party that yeah. kind of like direct the discussion so that we don't just try and like reach through the microphones i think the issue is that if we put if we actually made a scale to judge which game was better then gran turismo 4 would come out on top <laughs> so, I mean, the thing is, not to totally derail the podcast, but I think Gran Turismo 3 just has the fun factor down. And I know that's an arbitrary term, and you're going to hate me for saying that, but yeah. <laughs> GT3 is just better, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. It's. I feel like the argument for GT3 is GT3 had less, so I could consume all of it. I feel like that's what it always comes down to. People who prefer... It's like, oh, well, I couldn't do the 24-hour Nürburgring race in GT4. It's like, well, then don't fucking do it. Like, who cares? But it's there if you want it. Like, that's the whole point, you know? I, yeah, I mean, the podcast, we've basically gone through the entire musical discussion at this point, and I don't really care if we go, go a little bit longer to talk about other things. I mean, I guess the one thing that I wanted to say... Uh, add to the license discussion was I was very close to the to choosing Burnout Three Takedown, right? Uh, because that game had a fantastic, just like all of the uh, all of the post grunge and pop punk that you could have wanted in two thousand four and two thousand three. That game had a fantastic lineup, yeah, and it's still one that I go back to all the time. <sighs> but yeah, I, I guess uh, soon soon we'll have that that GT debate. Yep, definitely that that should be a an upcoming topic. I would say that that could go could, sorry, go down well. But um without a referee <laughs> it could get messy. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to ask you one thing here cuz I I can't stop myself. <laughs> Do you prefer GT1 or GT2? GT2. Okay, because I was gonna say I feel like the people who like GT four also like GT two, right? Because I and and the people who like GT one also like GT three simply because if you prefer GT three, it you're prob I, I honestly feel like you're probably rolling in more nostalgia simply because those games were revolutionary. Yeah, GT four was not revolutionary, and that's I, I'm not gonna you know even as much as I love GT four, I'm not going to say that it was so. Yeah, I mean, I must be the outlier there then, but it's... I mean, the, my opinion on GT4 is it's still one of the best racing games ever made. The content is fantastic, but it was just small niggles with the, the handling engine that I had that really makes GT3 stand above it as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that, that's a fair point with the handling. And, and just to add one more thing... Uh, my GT2 entry for the, the what your favorite game says about you is <laughs> you drone on about Red Rock and Rome Knight and probably the Espas F1. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is so true. <laughs> the Espas F1 is incredible. It was the it was Blur's Ford Supervan before Blur was a thing. That's true, and then yeah. Not a thing. <laughs> yeah, although I think you had to do some pretty wild tuning just to get it to even be drivable in that game. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, all right, well, we could continue this podcast forever as usual, but we should probably cut it there. Uh, so this has been Time Extend. I've been Adam Ismail, and uh, Brendan Morrison is with me. And yeah, just a quick round of plugs. Uh, you can find my work on GT Planet. I haven't been posting a lot there recently because I've been insanely busy with my regular job, which is uh, I'm a tech journalist at a site called Tom's Guide. Uh, and yeah, the, you can find me. My Twitter handle is Pioneer Spine. 
uh, and I do lots of stuff and can barely keep up with all of it. So. <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brendwings, and I also write for GT Planet, so you can give me all the traffic you were going to give Adam since he's slacking off at the moment. <laughs> I am slacking off. I got. I gotta get. I gotta get back on the mirror mode tip because. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of old racing games I need to play through, and then and then talk about lovingly to absolute crickets from the audience because no one no one cares about Porsche Challenge anymore. So. Oh, so sad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks everyone, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks everyone. Bye.